and welcome to the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast, where we share some of our favorite creatives to inspire your own creativity and connect you to the global art community. I'm Sam Pierce, an architectural designer and contributing writer at My Modern Met. I'll be joining Jessica, Sarah, and Sonia as one of your hosts, introducing you to some of these great artists. This week, I'll be talking to media artist Rafiq Nadal. Rafiq uses AI to make stunning projections, incredibly immersive audio-visual installations, and parametric data sculptures that all explore the relationship between humanity and technology. Rafiq speaks really poetically about his work. He talks about painting with machine consciousness and using architecture as a canvas. He also believes in making art more accessible and universal. I sat down with Rafiq to learn about his craft and the work his studio is doing right now. Be sure to check this episode's description for links to Rafiq's work so that you can follow along as you listen. Let's jump in. Hi, Rafiq. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're really excited to start chatting with you. We have a lot of incredible projects that we know are going on with you right now, and you also have things coming up that we'd love to discuss. But before we dive into all of that, I'd like to start almost chronologically. So you often share that the movie Blade Runner had a huge influence on you as a child and that it might have led you to this futuristic digital media that you create now. Can you describe that influence to us? Yes, I think uh, very, maybe for some people very cheesy, but I'm really very, very young. <laughs> when I watched my first science fiction and my first science fiction experience in life was the Blade Runner. My mom uh, randomly uh, rents some VHS back in time and that weekend, uh, I had the chance to see Blade Runner for the first time. And of course, I wasn't aware of truly the world, like an eight years old. <laughs> but I was in in incredibly inspired when my cousin explained me that actually the, these are not real people. They are like androids and they are communicating each other. And the narrative is not based on like real to a human. It was just incredible. And I was just super inspired. But I think my true inspiration, not only also the uh, emotional aspect, but also like uh, the, ver the world that really Scott and the team created, the downtown Los Angeles, uh, flying cars and the media facades, the near future experience. And that was a truly fascinating experience. And the same year, I got my first computer, which was another uh, major, uh, I think, hic uh, a beautiful like a reaction in my mind that I was able to start playing games. It was a Commodore 128, uh, and then it was uh, coming with a, like a simple PDF file. Uh, sorry, yeah, like, like a printed, printed material where you can read very high-level code and learn how to do basic coding with Commodore 128. And that year, I was obsessed with the games and the idea of, like, there may be a space in the mind of a machine where the games are happening. And that concept never got out of from my mind, that imagination. I think that's something that's super clear in your work, that sort of personification of the machine, where the, the machine thinks and it remembers and it talks uh, and people experience the machine. Uh, the other thing that happens in Blade Runner that is really clear in your work is that the line between media and architecture is really blurred. Uh, so how exactly does your work do that? How exactly do you change a space or a built environment through media? Be beautiful question, actually. I think, first of all, I was in my undergrad years at Visual Communication Design when I heard about the media architecture. And I was starting like get used to the, the culture, the, the people who are thinking about the near future of architecture. 
And what I found extremely exciting is there was a fantastic event in Berlin, 2008, when I heard about this event called Media Facades and the Media Architecture event. And in that event, I, I saw an amazing lecture by Lev Manovich. And Lev Manovich is one of the most inspiring minds for me. And he was talking about his 2004 <laughs> paper called Poetics of Augmented Space. And he was saying, in other words, architects along with artists can take the next logical step to consider the invisible space of data flows as substance rather than just as void, something that needs a structure, a politics, and a poetics. It was an incredible inspiration. And the same year, I, in my practice, in my undergrad year, start to use a light as a material in my world and then start using a software called VVVV. Uh, it's an open source-ish uh, visual programming language where you can create your own ideas. And that's how I start my journey, augmenting architecture and go beyond what we can see. And I think architecture is beyond concrete, steel, and uh, glass. And I do believe light is one of the most inspiring material in the world that can turn into a wavelength, particles, a divine material we need to survive every day. And, um, and since then, I never stop imagining what will happen if we can use light as a material and transform data into a, to, to make invisible visible through the lens of architecture and give consciousness to architecture by using machine learning algorithms. Yeah, I think that's such a great point because it might be easy for people to look at your work and think, oh, this is so beautiful. It's a really aesthetic installation. But it's much more than that, more than a, a dynamic video or projection. It's often a celebration of memory or a study of our relationship with nature. And they're all represented by what you're talking about, by this using data to help us think about light or use light to change a space. So I wonder... How do these studies, or what you're talking about, how do you translate these ideas for each project? Do you have sort of an exploration you want to do, and then you get a project that fits? So I think it's, as, a, as an art studio, most likely the ideas um, are collaborations between the collector or the, the, the institution or the, the people who are behind the, like, support the idea. Sometimes they let me and the team to imagine the world. Sometimes we say, or I say, as much as, hey, why don't we do that? But one thing that I can say, I don't know what I'm doing when I start a project. <laughs> it's a very fantastic feedback from Frank Gehry, one of my heroes, when we worked together for Walt Disney Concert Hall projection with LA Philharmonic, and it was his incredible feedback. Like, if, if I know what I'm doing, I'm not doing that anymore. That's not any more exciting. I think we believe learning to learn. So learning to learn is our philosophy when it comes to a new journey, a new project. We do our best to like deep dive, bring depth to surface, and find, do, our, like, do our best to find new meanings and narratives with the space, with the data, with the client, with the collector, whatever that communication. We always look for human machines and environments as a base layer of imagination. Um, and we found our ideas last seven years in that territory. I think that's such a good point that a lot of our listeners can sort of relate to, especially the people that do art full time, because yes, you know, you have to make money and create art, but it also has to be something that's a continuous exploration. So you're able to say like, this is an exploration that we're going to see through and then we're going to move on to something, something else, something new. 
That also brings us to your team, because I know you work with a really great group of multidisciplinary designers and artists and architects. Can you tell us about them and about the workflow? Yes, I'm definitely always saying this. I am on the shoulders of giants, and these giants are my team members. So it was 2012 when I started my studies at UCLA Design Media Arts Department. I was 100 sure that I will, I'm not doing this journey alone. I am not an egocentric artist that just want to do things that will unfortunately doesn't have an output immediately for anyone, any age, and any background. So I think that was a very intention in the very beginning. Um, I always enjoy creating together playfulness of ideas and imagination. But I was also respectfully understanding different fields requires different thinking, learning, researching, and so on. So there's also incredible, uh, inspiring African preverb. It says, if you're going to go faster, do it alone. But if you're going to go further, you have to do it together. So I just choose to do it together with my team. And right now we are 14 people, can speak 14 languages, and then we represent 10 countries. And technically we are working wow. 24 hours because when you're all around the world, <laughs> the world becomes <laughs> your time zone and the canvas. But why do we need that is, why I need that is, truly understand the humanity as a whole the world as a canvas. I don't believe art is only for certain states and certain people. Art should be for anyone, any age, any background. And that really requires an inventing a new language like mathematics. And in our context, it's aesthetics, right? Like in arts. So we always try to use our um, past knowledge and our eager to learn and curiosity and deep dive into different fields. Like we have a neuroscientist, we have an anthropologue, we have a uh, of course, data scientists, AI engineers. We are all loving games. Like we have, I mean, we are, I think, <laughs> truly nerds of our own <laughs> universe. Architects, uh, designers, and really like a very diverse um, minds that are trying to imagine together, dream together our near future. Um, and we always care about the ramification of the technology. We are not here just for like giving <laughs> optimism without knowing what may go wrong. But we believe in to create art for anyone, any age, and any background. We need to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, freshness, new questions, and things that never seen before. And that's maybe a good transition to maybe a difficult question that I wanted to ask you. And that's, lately, we seem to harbor a lot of fear around technology, which is yes. natural. We sort of lament the fact that we're constantly on our phones, maybe we're overly dependent on these machines and that artificial intelligence specifically, does it pose a risk to security and to privacy? Uh, your work seems to really highlight the beauty and potential of artificial intelligence, and it gets us excited for a future of creating with these machines. But that dark side, that fear, is that something you also respond to in your work? Is it something you think about? So it is an intentional, actually, um, choice of um, narratives. Of course, there is, like in any technology, in anything in humanity that we invented, we created, has ramifications. It is a predictable way of, I think, life. Um, and I found out that there are incredible minds who have been seeing these dark points, these dystopian narratives. There are people criticizing, like maybe enjoying negativity, maybe like a <laughs> like little bit getting <laughs> uh, like a comfort zone in that uh, right. what, can, what may go wrong mindsets. But what I found is much more inspiring and much more thoughtful and much more actually requires different imagination is what else can we do with these tools, these hardware, these systems, these softwares? I found the second one is much inspiring and honestly 
much engaging for humanity. I mean, as a team, when you start to like imagine an art world, artwork for anyone in any age and any background, it's a time to like bring freshness and the beauty and the positivity, to bring hope, imagination, and to bring inspiration and new questions. I found that it's much harder, to be honest. Um, and I found the hard way. And for me, art is humanity's capacity of imagination. And I found myself to push this imagination to a way where things are much bright, to learn, to remember, to dream, and have a collective memories of humanity. So I think my vision here is shortly bring positive impact. The things can be go much functional and useful for humanity. That's where I found my imagination much um, strong. And I think... Uh, and my motivations around that parameter. Yeah, I think that's a great response. And I think that's something that at My Modern Med, our sort of motto is to share, inspire, connect. So we also try to talk about the positive, the inspirational pieces of art, because we know they sort of outweigh these, these negative stories. So I think that's something that we've always really been inspired by in your work, that you talk about the positive things that the machine can do and what we can learn from, from AI and what we can learn from technology. Uh, along those lines, is there anything that these algorithms that you've created have taught you that sort of surprised you? It's a, it's a really great question. I mean, I just want to quote someone I deeply admire, Carl Sagan. He says, uh, imagination will often carry us to the world that never were, but without it, we go nowhere. And I think the imagination and algorithms and machine intelligence are eventually has to merge together to find something different than a scientific output. So for me, what I was inspired is our, as humans, our capacity of imagination, dreaming, learning, remembering. And these uh, cognitive capacities, when you apply them to a machine, I found a very playful imagination. So of course, machines are not here to decide to decide yet, but... What will happen if a machine can learn, can it dream? And this question, of course, feels very weird for many, <laughs> many people. But if you really think about it, I mean, again, algorithms, GIN algorithms invented by the Ian Goodfellow back in time, it was a truly the answer to me. I could really, as an artist, take my brush, dip into the machine's mind, and paint with machine consciousness. And this sentence is not science fiction. I am literally, I mean, can, can interact with an AI model and find some meaningful outputs and let the machine complete between certain locations in latent space, and let the machine literally hallucinate. A human interprets an idea with a machine, a true collaboration. So I found this incredibly inspiring. And sometimes, I mean, by the way, last five years as a studio, we may be the, probably the largest data sets ever trained in the art field. Like we use 113 million images of New York. We use more than 200 million images of nature. We work with the NASA GPL's three major research, ISS, MRO, and the Hubble telescope data sets. We constantly push the boundaries of collective memories because I found that whenever we detach ego from data, there is a hope and there is some beauty that may be shared collectively. And that I'm looking for collective memories of humanity that are hopeful, that are positive, that has an impact for everyone. Not the dark ones. We have the dark ones. Of course, we are humans. <laughs> but I'm trying to find the beauty. And, and, and there, I think I'm using by the way, MIT's Tangible Media um, Lab um, director, Hiroshi Ishii. He says, art questions the world around us. Science explains world around us. Design articulates the solution technology enables the solution. And I think we have to use art, 
science, design and technology to interact with AI. And, and there I found incredible serendipity when they all collide together. Uh, I think one good example that is really clear for us to see that happening is in your quantum memories project. Do you kind of want to walk us through the relationship between science and design and art in that project? Yes, happy to. So first of all, I'm um, as, as a sci-fi lover, I was always like um, just constantly look for inspirations, also like ideas. And I think Alex, Gar- Alex Garland's Devs is one of those incredible series that speculate the many worlds interpretation by uh, Hugh Everett's. And I was fascinated by the generally quantum uh, theories, quantum physics, and eventually quantum computation. And Google AI was Google AI quantum team had been exploring uh, the, the quantum uh, advantage experiments by creating experiments using 52 qubits of a quantum machine to compute one of the most hardest challenges in mathematics or in computation and make a useful case of a quantum computer that a classical computer will not do it at the same time or in a similar time. And if you look at the theory that every, every single time a, a measurement happens in the quantum or in the Hilbert space or in the quantum space or in the quantum theories or quantum computation, there may be a chance of opening a new universe. And I thought that we always need machines to see the world, right? We need microscope, fMRI machines, X-ray machines, telescope. Like we need machines as humans, as in our journey. And the question is, what will happen if we use AI? to translate that probabilities of noise into a reality, which means we took that data from the quantum um, advantage research and trained our AI with 200 million nature photos, which, I mean, physics trying to understand nature, right? Very, I think mm-hmm. very poetic connections there. And use NVIDIA StyleGAN to ADA algorithm and reinvent a latent space algorithm that listens quantum computational data and transform into a an experience. And that was what in National Gallery of Victoria in Australia, and it was a 10 meter by 10 meter media wall, and people can perceive as an experience, and we have a camera in real time, tracks the audience and generate a noise pattern, and we have a quantum timeline that shows each time different piece. So it's not the same in the time, like when you measure a quantum state, it may be 50-50% of different uh, reality. So we apply this logic in artfully, And we had an incredible reaction from the audience, beautiful messages. uh, And I think it's very well received from the quantum computational researchers, uh, data scientists, artists, uh, critics. We got a beautiful um, reaction for this imagination. Yeah, that's so exciting. Maybe what's most exciting to me about that project is that I heard somewhere that quantum physics is a type of thing that if you think you understand quantum physics, that means you probably don't Hmm. because it's too complicated (laughs) for anyone to understand. So the people that know it know that they have barely scratched the surface. But the way that your work kind of helps people visually experience quantum physics sort of inspires this new type of education or imagination where they can, maybe they won't understand all of the details of quantum physics, but they'll understand the experiences or the basics Mm -hmm. of what it might feel like. It's a a great point. I mean, in general, art doesn't need to be functional at all. Like, I mean, artists doesn't Mm -hmm. need to be like functional and try to like save the world (laughs) or like create a tool or algorithm or just a new ways of like, you know, 
generating a tool, right? It's not artist first intention. But what I found is the more we have this um, bigger audience around the world, we found ourselves more careful about what we do and how we do. And we found out that the people get more curious about the technology, like a popular science. And we found that we have to be more careful while we are sharing our projects. And last five years, in every project we do with AI, we always share the name of the algorithm, source of data, type of algorithms we use, as open as possible, which is a problem because it also creates our copycats, meaning exactly people are doing the same thing with the same ideas. Right. I mean, it's history. It's Luckily, <laughs> we, we can remember what is done in what, which time. But it, it, it is as a ramifications of creating copycats. Yeah, one or two, three, four, whatever. But we engage with hundreds of thousands of audience all around the world and give them much more insights and open and honest and direct transparency about the project. And sometimes people think that, oh, wow, art should be like more, you know, uh, mysterious. I should not know what it is. <laughs> you may. It's, it's, a, it's a, in a conventional world, traditional world. That's a very good critic. But in a world where, <laughs> where we go, what we eat, what we watch, what we see, what we buy here is defined by systems, I think we have to be very clear and open about and honest about these new technologies we are using. And I think there should be some responsibility. And I found that um, we can do that. Um, so we do workshops, we do educational-like approach to many, many fields, um, and that's how we um, ethically find ourselves grounded once it comes to the sharing uh, details of the projects. Since a lot of your projects are sort of systems-based in their studies, is the fact that it's open source uh, as important to the piece as the sort of installation gallery portion? It is in general very important, but of course not every data is public. But if we do public art, which we have 14 permanent data sculptures and paintings around the world, we do always care about public data, such as environmental data, local data, things that represents the society, the city, the surroundings, the building. We, I mean, if you look at our 14 artworks, like the first one was 2015, virtual depictions in San Francisco. It was the world's first data sculpture in public space ever speculated, a three-dimensional data sculpture. So that, that changed the game, not only for us, but for, I think, many, many people. Um, and the wind, winds of Boston, Dubai, Miami, Chicago, Seoul, London, Berlin. So we have all this Istanbul, we have all these series. So we always speculate the city as an input for our work and then try to use public data as much as possible to bring openness, freshness and detach ego from data if possible. And you also bring up a good point that everything is local. These aren't just sort of spiraling dynamic videos, but everything tells a really specific story for where people are experiencing these. Is that also true for your Venice Biennale project that's coming up soon? Yes. So first of all, it was, I think, 2017 when I was very fortunate to meet an amazing neuroscientist, Professor Adam Gezeli from UCSF. Unfortunately, I learned that my uncle was diagnosed, diagnosed by stage two Alzheimer's. And the same year, I was so shocked because at the meantime, like I was reading incredible AI research, incredible technological advancements. But at the meantime, one of the most heavy disease of humanity, which is losing and melting our memories, was not cured yet. 
And around those days, for me, data is always a memory. It's never like a boring numbers or, you know, traditional bunch of, you know, CSV, JSON or XML files for me. And then I was just like really felt that like that big question, maybe can we touch our memories? Like, can we see the moment of remembering by scientifically quantified way? And that question answered by a helpful with that collaboration, and I made melting memories with my team, and thanks to the Adam Gazzelli, which was recording an EEG data and then using AI to, to, to detect the moment of remembering and turn that data into a data sculpture and painting. And over the years, neuroscience, AI, and architecture became a practice for us. And the Venice Biennale this year is a push for our lab in collaboration with Professor Dr. Tyler Kuhn from UCLA. And this time we are speculating a new series called Sense of Space, a series of two pieces. One is exploring the connectom, which is the connection in the human mind when we have certain tasks, which is uh, done by Siemens as our um, sponsor and partner and collaborator. Siemens is one of the world's largest, uh, maybe the most successful company in creating fMRI machines to record our brain activities. And we use Human Connectome Project 4,500 people's individual brain activities and train AI to celebrate our common patterns of connections in the human mind. So we generate this data into a data sculpture to unify everyone's common patterns and symbolize the human mind when it's in action, when it's in thoughtful, when it's learning, when it's remembering, when it's thinking. That's one project. We are doing a CNC, a robotically large-scale printed recycled plastic major piece in the, in hanging in the air like a human brain and then projection mapping it. The second piece is with a, a wonderful professor from Harvard University, uh, Gyokan Hotamishligil, and his lab is researching molecular architecture of human cells. And he made an incredible pipeline, a scientific pipeline, that they were able to visualize a human cell like a mitochondria and all these beautiful intricate details of a molecular architecture of a human cell. And we are also showcasing our collaboration with them. So it's a truly art size and technology installations. And we are speculating that maybe the future of architecture is in molecular architecture. Maybe it's in the connectome in our minds. Like where is architecture going? Like what is the future of imagination? What will happen if we have these living beings as inspirations that is beyond just concrete, glass and steel? So we are speculating these ideas at Venice Biennale. That's so exciting. I would, would love to see that project in person. And when can people go see that? It is opening to not the public, apparently, because of unfortunately, <laughs> right. unfortunately, the pandemic is making a major impact in humanity, as we all know. And um, currently, they are not expecting an audience, of course, because of pandemic. But it's open right. till end of November, right? So it's a very open, uh, more than six months. So their, their hope is like a summer and the fall will be a major audience. Uh, we are going to install and be ready in the opening day, end of May. Uh, if anyone vaccinated in Europe want to have a stop by, we will be there for the opening. You are very welcome to see, watch and explore the piece. Uh, and one other project on the horizon for you is Casa Batlo by Antoni Gaudi, right? That's a very new project on the horizon. Which is an incredible one. So Gaudi, so first of all, for me, the architecture is the main, main source of inspiration when I think about sculpture, space, and time, and function, and structure. So uh, I have many heroes, such as Frank Gehry, Zahadi, Tado Ando, Toyo Ito, and of course, Gaudi. And when Casabatio team um, reach out and say, hey, 
would you like to be involved in a project that is about Gaudi? I said, of course, like, <laughs> no doubt. And it was an incredible collaboration. In Casabatio, they are reinventing the uh, museum experience in 21st century. They are doing an incredible um, transformation of space. And they are doing very fresh technological, poetic and emotional um, museum experience. And I am very honored to be uh, commissioned by them to create an installation in Casabatio. Um, it's called The Cube, which will be a 360 experience using LED screens all around you. And Casabatio opened their archives from every single Gaudi uh, materials they had, LIDAR scannings of the building, and we also collect a major data from social media and all over the place that how the humanity see Gaudi. And we generate this a four and a half minutes long experience in this immersive environment, which will be an ongoing transformation. It's the first step. Uh, and we are hoping to improve the story, hopefully adding more other Gaudi buildings. That's a very exciting project. But as we close out our chat, I have a question that will maybe bring us full circle. So I loved hearing about Blade Runner and how that inspired you as a child. Blade Runner 2049 came out a few years ago in 2017. And I just wonder, now that you've been working with AI for so long, uh, did that movie ha have a similar effect on you? Were you inspired by it? Uh, or how do you think that science fiction and their depictions of AI stands up against the realities of your work? It's a, it's a beautiful question. Um, I think the more I am in the technological uh, advancements and understanding where they go, and our collaboration with like you know Google, Nvidia, and Siemens, and many other partners, it really like opened up the mind in a way that now it's truly remembering the future. It's not you know just hallucinating a future that never happens kind of things. I think that really helped me to have a clarity. Um, but I think in like many experiences in the world to have a purposeful and eventually impactful results, I found that like the second Blade Runner, right, 2049, which is uh, may maybe getting more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I do not believe in, in 28 years we will see that, I hope. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it still like, you know, brings the future so close. But I still believe our imagination, our realistic imagination, Still not too far away. For example, William Gibson, one of my heroes, and he came to our exhibition in Arctic House uh, in New York, Mission Hallucination, and he said something amazing in Twitter and tagged me and said, finally, I felt I am in my story. It is cyberpunk as fuck. He said this exactly <laughs> in Twitter. It's the best critic you, I can ever get. I mean, my hero, a sci-fi genius, goes to an installation and says that, that's a moment, you know. That's when I found that, oh, wow, okay, this is working. Or when my other hero, Alejandro Inharitu, when he saw the Disney Hall Dreams project in Los Angeles, Frank Gehry's building, Dream Project, he said, I, could, I can really touch a science fiction. I feel it. I mean, these are incredible feedbacks that I am going for, trying to find and make meaningful and purposeful projects in the world. And I think... Science fiction is one of those wonderful type of imagination that will take us new worlds. That's a great response. Uh, before we close out, I just want to ask, how can people find more of your work? Do you have a website and social media? Where's the best place? I think I'm a very active in the social media from Twitter, my name, surname, Instagram, my name, surname, and our refikandolstudio.com is our website. 
you are very welcome to join our newsletter and, and or follow me on social media because I'm very verbal and active and direct, uh, whatever comes. And I'm personally there and, and love connecting with thousands of people um, and, and learn their feedbacks, imagination, ideas. So happy to share. I mean, sharing is happiness. Happiness is sharing. So I'm <laughs> there to share. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much, Rafiq. Thank you so much. And much appreciate this wonderful invitation. That was media artist Rafiq Anadal. I hope that you enjoyed this deep dive into machine learning and that you're feeling inspired to create something new. We'll be back with another great guest soon, but you can always keep up with us at mymodernmet.com. And if you're a member, you'll get an ad-free reading experience and some other great perks for supporting the site. Here at Top Artist Podcast, we are getting ready to close out our first season of talking with incredible creatives. And there are a few ways you can help us make season two even better. First, consider leaving us a review. This way we can learn what you loved and what we can do better next time. We're also excited to start hearing your voice on the show. How do you stay inspired to keep creating? How has the COVID-19 pandemic changed the way you make art? Submit a response to one of these questions or another art topic for a chance to be featured on the show. You can submit an audio clip via email to podcast at mymodernmet.com or by finding us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks for listening and for being a part of our global art community.